Hello, and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Salon of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the fifth interview podcast for the 2008-2009 international season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with Patricia Hamilton, well-known actor from the Shaw Festival who also appeared in the original production of Anne-Marie MacDonald's Belle Morrill on Natural History which played at the NAC studio from January 27th to February 14th. For more information about the NAC Theatre Company's production of Belmoral on Natural History, please visit www.nac-cna.ca slash en slash theatre slash belmoral slash intro dot ASP. And now, here are Peter Hinton and Patricia Hamilton. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this afternoon's interview for our production of Bell, Moral, and Natural History by Anne-Marie MacDonald. I'm Peter Hinton. I'm the Artistic Director of English Theatre here at the NAC, and um, I am just personally thrilled that we have a really, really special guest with us today. And um, before I invite you to join me in welcoming Patricia Hamilton, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about her and her connection to this play. All right. 48 years on the stage. Up at two. Up at two. 50. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Canadian actress Patricia Hamilton... Uh, has been with the Shaw Festival. Uh, this will be your 13th season with the Shaw? I believe Is so, that yes. Correct? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, and, and she will appear this summer as Albertine at 70 in Michel Tremblay's Albertine in Five Times. In the 2007 season at Shaw, she appeared as Anna in A Month in the Country uh, after Turgenev. At the Shaw Festival, she's been in productions from The Magic Fire to Rosmer's Home, The Constant Wife, Autumn Garden, Pygmalion, On the 20th Century, which she was a co-director of, and uh, The Royal Family, Diane of Dobson's Return of the Prodigal, amongst many, many other productions. Um, A lot of you might recognize Patricia from her work on Road to Avonlea, Anne of Green Gables. she had appeared in Theatre Calgary's production of Enchanted April, in Soul Pepper's production of Uncle Vanya. Uh, recently, she was in the Harold Green Jewish Theatre's presentation of Kinder Transport. And she's been a juror for the Seminovich Prize. Um, I think what uh, 
probably made the greatest impression on me about your work, Pat, in addition to your performances, was the work you did running the Masterclass Theatre and that program, which uh, I'm going to ask you about. Um, and she was the founding producer of Masterclass Theatre and uh, served as the director of the Advanced Actors Workshop at the Banff Centre for the Arts. She's the recipient of many awards, including a Brenda Donahue Award, Dora Award, Jeannie Award, Gemini Award, and Silver Ticket Award. She received her Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She studied in London, England, Central School of Speech and Drama. And her son, you might also know, who's been here at the NAC many times, Ben Carlson, who recently played Hamlet at Stratford and is playing the Scottish King in Chicago right now. So it's a theatrical family. So please join me in giving a very warm welcome to Patricia Hamilton. Now, uh, you have a very unique connection to this play. I do. And, uh, you know, we, uh, it was, it's tough finding someone in the show because the company from Shaw, not everyone's now here after the opening. And the actors, certainly, it's a bit of a challenge for them. And uh, what is your connection to this play? Well, Belmoral, as you probably know, is a rewrite of an earlier play, which was called The Arab's Mouth, which was done 19 years ago now. Wow. And I was in that production. That's my connection. Yeah. Um, it was done at the Factory Theatre in Toronto, uh, directed by Maureen White. And at that time, Jackie Maxwell, talk about six degrees of separation, <laughs> Jackie yeah. Maxwell was the artistic director of Factory at that time. And uh, she is the one who got interested in the play that Anne-Marie had written called The Arab's Mouth. And then 14 years later, when Jackie was artistic director at Shaw, she thought that play should be revisited. And the result, a couple of years later, was... Belmoral, which played in nineteen in in ninety f no two thousand and five, first of all at the Shaw Festival. I'm still in the last century. I mean, <laughs> you understand that? Um, it played there then and was so so successful that they remounted it two years later and very fortuitously, Peter thought fit to bring it here, which uh, was a great idea. I think Peter. Right on. Yeah. So that's my connection to it, and it has. Uh, I could tell you a little bit about the differences between that play yes. and, and the one we have now. Um, you played Auntie in it. I played the Auntie, yes, yes. I did play the Auntie, and the Auntie wasn't nearly as sexy as she is now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell oh. you, it was, uh, it, that is an addition, that sort of... <laughs> Interest between the auntie and Dr. Reed is a, is a nice little interest. I wish I'd uh -huh. had that to deal with. Yeah. Although, I don't know if you know who Henry Cherney is, but he's a wonderful actor who's now in Hollywood and done a lot of interesting work in film and stuff. He was our victor, and as auntie, I was in love with him. So that was just fine. <laughs> that was fine with me. Um, it's interesting to say that both plays are about inclusiveness. Yes, I mean, it's about how we are all one. Uh, and Anne-Marie has such a fantastic and fascinating mind that it's not just about that. I, we had a nice, um, nice write-up in the Toronto Star when we did 
the Arab's mouth. And they said that the play was about Freudian psychoanalysis, Roman Catholicism, the debate between science and superstition, feminism, androgyny, homosexuality, genetics, heredity, the afterlife, Egyptian mythology, <laughs> and the potentially fatal consequences of staring directly into the middle of a French cruller. <laughs> that is a pretty accurate expression of why the Arab's mouth has been rewritten. <laughs> Anne-Marie said herself, and I think she says it in her little introduction in your, your program, that it was all over the place. But she read it, when she reread it, she realized that she had taken on way too much. At the time, we kept saying to her, there's six plays here, Anne-Marie. <laughs> but... She had looked at it to see if there was still a heartbeat, to see if it was still alive. And indeed, the Arab's mouth was, she said, the Arab's mouth was an almost truculent assertion of the primacy and the irrational, of the irrational and the relativistic. Belmoral is a much more balanced play. It has, the characters are richer, I think, more complex and more believable. And there's some beautiful writing in the Arab's mouth. But I do want to tell you something that we lost some, uh, when, when, we, when she changed it. She did, of course, have to get rid of half of that, obviously, all that thing I read to you, which was absolutely accurate. The play was about all those things. And it's still about quite a lot because Anne-Marie MacDonald has a teeming mind. It's full and rich, and she can never get rid of it. She can never write it all out. So. But in the, in the early, the reason it was called The Arab's Mouth might be interesting. In the, in the production of The Arab's Mouth, she had written a, that Pearl, who is our heroine, the, the bur burgeoning scientist, um, was examining a rock that she had found on the beach, and it was covered in symbols, and the rock was hot and actually burns her, and we had a lot of that in the other play. So she is speaking to, and what do you call those guys, a psychopomp? Yeah. The... Okay. Uh, Anubis, the man who takes the dead to the, picks you up and takes you to heaven or hell or wherever you're going after you die. So the psychopomp uh, was talking to Pearl, and Pearl has their hieroglyphics. The figures are the stone, the mouth, concentric circles. That was the mouth of the Arab's mouth. The father, the mother, Pearl, and Victor, the family, were all depicted in these hieroglyphics. And Pearl is talking to Anubis, and she says, are you the dog in the stone? No. Where am I? At the lip. The lip of what? Metaphor. What lies beyond the lip? Truth? Pearl. Tooth? <laughs> now, that's Anne-Marie MacDonald writing. <laughs> She'll build you up in this lovely little image of a, a, the lip of a metaphor and all, and all of a sudden undercut it with her sense of humor because she has a remarkable sense of she humor. Sure it's kooky, it's crazy, it's out there, and every time she, she, gets, she sucks you in, she then knocks you down. As she says, she's a clown, and she's never met a, uh, you know, a, a falling down or a tripping on a banana peel that she didn't love. So... The play is full of that. The new play is full of that, as the old play was. But I'm awfully glad that she found out that the old play had a heartbeat and redid it because I think it is vastly improved. She's 20 years older. She has other interests. And she, she says, and I didn't realize this, that a lot of her concerns when she wrote The Arab's Mouth, she's written into her novels. 
particularly uh, Fall uh, on Your Knees, the first one, which she wrote right after The Arab's Mouth. She, she began to write it. And a lot of what she says, uh, what she dealt with in The Arab's Mouth, that she was able to leave behind when she went to write Bill Morrill, because she has already dealt with it in her, in her novels. Now, there's more, but uh, I'll, I'll stop there and let you... It's, it's interesting, yeah. and like how, and we just get a little echo of the Arab is left in the play that There's Victor talks about. There's one line left referring yeah, to that. Yeah, Victor talked about that in the Arab's mouth too, yeah. about how he shot an uh, an absolute stranger on the beach for no reason because he's writing postmodernist novel of no meaning, right? <laughs> so that that, but the fact that it was an Arab, of course, twenty years ago. That was perfectly reasonable to write, but I don't think you'd call a play the Arab's mouth now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a difficult, right. that has a whole lot of whole other, other resonance. A whole other resonance yeah. that, that is not what she intended. That basically the Arab's mouth, and that was also the jokes about the donut and the French curler were all about this circle, which was why she called it the Arab's mouth. Huh. But the, that whole section is lost, and you lose some good writing in that too. You, there's lots of good writing that I miss because it was there before, but... When I saw the new version, I couldn't help but think, oh, it's wonderful what she's done. And I asked Jackie Maxwell, I said, what do you think is the major thing that's been accomplished? And she said, I think it's grown up. I think think the the Arab's mouth has grown up into Bill Morrill and presented, uh, and she's found the heart of it. And I think that's a pretty good description yes, of what happened. Yes. Yeah. Now, you were just telling me that uh, you met Anne-Marie MacDonald long before doing The Arab's Mouth. Yes, well... Could you tell yes. us about that a bit? Yes, Anne-Marie's an actress as well. Uh, and she was an actress before she was a writer. I, I imagine, like all writers, she was closet writing all those years, but <laughs> many of us never knew it. She was an actress, and I met her first when she was right out of drama school. We did a play together called Dreaming and Dueling, and it was done under the auspices of the Shaw Festival, another link, because Anne-Marie always said that when she wrote The Arab's Mouth, she had hoped it would be on the Shaw Festival stage. Um, so we were in a play together, um, this play called Dreaming and Dueling, and since we were the only two women in it, we were sharing a dressing room. And Anne-Marie played a character, a beautiful young girl, and she was, a bit be- be- she's still a very handsome woman, but she was a beautiful young girl, and she, in this play, she had to have a, a fatal, a, mine, a major flaw on her face. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Like a scar? Or a scar, a birthmark. A birthmark. Uh, uh, what's the name of that birthmark? I wrote it down because I can't remember uh, no- like nouns a, anymore. What's the name of that? A stain, like a port yeah, of wine. Port wine, that's port it. Wine. A port wine stain. So every night when we were in the dressing room, Anne-Marie sat there and took this beautiful face of hers and put a port wine stain on it. And she was very careful about that. She worked hard on that to make it look real. Took half of her face. And I've thought since, I wonder if the seed of a play about inclusiveness uh. came to her at that very, during that very time. I've never asked her that. I don't know if it's true. But when she wrote The Arab's Mouth, she had only one uh, major play behind her, which was Good Night, Desdemona, Good Morning, Juliet. And after The Arab's Mouth, she decided to write, I mean, she's written plays since, but Jackie went to her and said, okay, now what's the next play, Anne-Marie? She said, well, the next play is a novel. And that was Fall on Your Knees. Yeah. So she is, everything she touches turns to gold. I don't know that she's had much in the way of, yeah. 
well, she's an amazing person. She is really. And when you first met her, <clears throat> what was your... Could you oh. see that all of that in her? No. no. Well, I was very naive. She's just a young, look, beautiful-looking young woman. That's all I could see. And she was quite a nice actress. And I thought, oh, it's nice. She's going to be in the community. And she'll be yeah. coming along and doing other acting jobs. And the next thing I know, I, this script oh. called The Arab's Mouth comes across my desk. And I just went... Who wrote this? You know, this is so extraordinary. Who knew that this head was so full of a number of wonderful things, which it is. It's incredible. Yeah. Now, um, as an actor, you've done uh, an enormous amount of new plays. Yes, I was lucky to start uh, Uh my career at a time when that new play thing was happening for the first Uh time, really. I, I. I studied in the States and England, and then when I came back to Canada, because I really wanted to, and I I worked in the States for a few years, but then I came back to Canada just at the time that this rich, fecund thing was happening in the Toronto theatre scene. In other words, there had been no theatres in Toronto but the Crest. And right. the Canadian players who sometimes went off from Stratford to, to tour and what have you. But there was a real lack of indigenous material in all uh-huh. of this. And suddenly there was the Tarragon Theatre, the Factory Theatre, Passmarai, the Toronto Free Theatre. They were the four major... And these four guys, all interesting, fascinating men... Just how these things happen at certain times, you know, they they come together just suddenly. Bill, I'm not going to be able to name them all, but you know, Bill Glasgow and Paul Thompson and Ken Gass. Ken Gass, and at any rate, there were several more of them, and they all came together and started this, and it suddenly became a wonderful thing to be a Canadian writer. And so I, who had done most of my work in the states in the classics, I'd done a lot of Shakespeare. I'd been both at the San Diego Shakespeare Festival and the and the American Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Connecticut, and really loved the classics and always have, suddenly found myself... I didn't know, you know, whether I could actually make an entrance without a long skirt or, wow. with, or without music uh-huh. behind it, uh-huh. you know. So I decided not to do any Shakespeare for a while. I thought, I won't do Shakespeare now for five years. I'm going to just find out if oh. I've got legs, if I can actually walk on without... <laughs> Well, five years stretched out into quite a long time. The next Shakespeare I did was right here at the National Arts Centre. I did a production of Twelfth Night. Now, how old is the Arts Centre? 40 years? It was 36 years ago or something like that, when Marigold Charlesworth and Gene Roberts were running the the company. Uh, And that was... (laughs) in In between that time, I did play after play after play, new Canadian plays. Yeah. I feel very lucky to have had that opportunity. There's really nothing like saying an author's lines on stage in front of an audience and being the first one to ever say that. So you're setting a certain bar. They'll get better. They'll change it. Yeah. But nobody's there to tell you what it is. It's an unknown field. And, and to see where we've come to now, like with Arab's Mouth to Belmoral, and you were in Albertine in Five Times too. Yes. And uh, it's first English language production. Yes. Um, uh, I was very lucky to do a lot of Tremblay. Yeah. Tremblay was one of the great gifts of that period. Because yeah. although Tremblay was known in French, he had not allowed his plays to be done in English until we did the first one, which was For Every Oars Mary Lou, uh, at the yeah. Tarragon Theatre in Toronto. 
and he didn't want them to go out of the country, he said. <laughs> well, <laughs> He's yeah. changed his tune a little bit since then, but that, that was what he said at the time. However, Bill Glasgow wanted very deeply to do Tremblay, yeah. believed in it, and so Tremblay allowed, met Bill and trusted him and allowed him to do it, and the first one we did was Mary Lou, and very shortly after that, Les Belles Sir. And then I did five or six others as well. Yes. And one of them was Albertine in five times, at which time I played Albertine at 50. How come they won't let me do that now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm very excited about doing Albertine again and oh, playing yeah. Albertine at 70, actually. Michelin Chevrier is directing. Yes. And uh, we had a three-day workshop with a new translation at Shaw very recently. And that was uh, an extraordinary experience. Uh, Linda Gaborio has done a new translation of Albertine. And we are doing it at Shaw this summer. You know, that's the other thing about Belmoral that I think is wonderful. I think it's a terrific um, advertisement for the Shaw Festival's skills. Because yeah. when you see it, if some of you may have already seen it, it's so beautiful to look at. Judith Bowden's clothes are so remarkable. And the music oh, yeah. by Paul Sportelli is so wonderful. And the lighting. And all of those people work at the Shaw Festival. And the one thing that I think is even more remarkable than all that, and the acting's fabulous, you know, it is. It really is. But we come to expect that yeah. from the company at Shaw. They are a good, good company, really. I respect every actor at the Shaw Festival, and you can't always say that, you know. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing to be part of that. But uh, beyond that, the thing that I really fell in love with the other night was the ear. The props oh. person who made that <laughs> fabulous ear that Julie Martel wears uh, uh, in the play, Wait Till You See It, the, the wig that has the ear attached to it. It's an absolute thing of beauty, as are many of the props, eh? They and, sure are, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Is it different, I mean, uh, acting in a new play than an existing text or a classical work? For an actor, is the process different? Like, well, uh, yeah. What do you do when you get, you're getting new pages thrown at you all the time? And well, thank God I'm past that because <laughs> I don't think I could do it anymore. It's, uh, it is different because the process... I, I don't know if it's still true because I haven't done a lot of new plays lately, but in the days when we were trying, when a lot of people were putting all their energy into making Canadian theatre come alive, the rehearsal period, which was ne is never long enough, right? We know yeah. that, was all about getting the text right. It was always all about trying to get the text right. And of course it had to be because there was no... There were none t that came before. There was no pattern to follow. People were, the writers were inventing these things out of their, their guts. And we had to be prepared for the changes to come when they saw what happened when actors took on these parts. That's a wonderful thing, and that was the wonderful thing about doing new plays. But for the actor, and the reason I started Masterclass Theatre was for the actor, that just left you scrambling. And you didn't have a lot of time to work on your own work. I mean, you had to, you were scrambling too. We were all scrambling. It's so true. You know, I remember working on a new play once and an actor in the show coming up to me and going, Peter, you're not, I'm not getting notes. I need help. I need notes. What, how's my work? And I really, I was like, oh, you're fine. I'm not even watching you. I'm just listening to what you're saying to see if it makes sense. Yeah. And that's the exact truth. And, oh, 
the crestfallen look on the actor's <laughs> yeah. face. They were just like, "Well, it's true Thanks. because we need help too." You yes, know? we do. Yes. We do. We don't have it all, and we count on the fact that theater is an ensemble action. Yeah. We count on all those other actors, and particularly on the director, to help us find the world of the play and the ensemble, how it works. That That's terribly important. So I started Masterclass Theatre in order to get back to plays that had already proven themselves where we didn't have to deal with the text and we could spend all our time working on the acting. And uh, incredible productions that were done of plays yes. by... Uh, well, certainly the known classics, but also like Odin von Horvath. Who is uh, a wonderful writer. N- wonderful. <laughs> yes. And an incredible production with Joe Ziegler, I remember. Yes. It. And, and 13 Marif- Women. That was another oh. great thing about it. It had a lot of parts for women that yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, Marivaux, I think you were yes. one of the first to bring... English translations of Marivaux plays. Uh, and we had Lorca. another concept. Uh, yeah. Lorca, yes. Mm. We had another central concept at the first, which now we don't need so much because we have our own wonderful directors. But in those days, we wanted to bring people from other cultures, directors with different kinds of experience. And the reason we did Marivaux is because Mike Alfreds, who was our first director because I went to school with him, so I was able to coerce him to come for absolutely no money and, you know, all those conditions. Um, Because he had done a production of Marivaux in England and wanted to do it again. That's why we did Marivaux. The reason we did Odin von Horvath was because we had a German director coming and he was interested. He gave me a choice of several writers and the one I liked best was Horvath. So that's how that happened. It was thrilling that period of time. And then that program, which I managed to do for four years in Toronto then got a, a facelift by being taken on by the shop by the the Banff Center, where there was an where there was an infrastructure. I mean, when I was running it, I raised money by cooking in my backyard. We did things Is called right? Patsy's Garden Cafe, <laughs> yeah. where we tried to raise a little money doing things like that. And the actors all worked for virtually nothing. And everybody who was involved in that wanted to do that kind of work. That's why they did it. But I was seven years at Banff where there was the support system to allow us to, again, bring wonderful directors in. We brought Joe Dowling in. We brought we brought a lot of really good I, directors in. You know, in. I've often thought, you know, that what Soul Pepper is now, in a curious way, might have had seeds in what you were doing it's with that It's not so curious. Out of the 12... Uh-huh. People, you find that the same type of actor is yeah. interested in this kind of work. Out of the 12 seed members of Soul Pepper, I think eight of them were at Masterclass. Is okay. Plus, we gave them our charitable number. So, oh, <laughs> there you go. When, the when they started of, Soul Pepper, I was yeah. so thrilled because I was uh-huh. running out of steam myself. They sort of took the baton and they did, carried it they on did. In a And of course, way. with with much more, uh, much better ideas, much richer ideas, much more ability to do it than I did. So, Soul Pepper, I think of myself as as being one of the precursors of yeah. of that idea, at any rate. And uh, Albert seems to feel that way too. Uh-huh. That that I uh, and and for instance, Laszlo Martin was first brought here by oh, me. That's right. And yeah. then has come to Soul Pepper many, many times and done wonderful productions, particularly of Chekhov, which... And even, he, I think, didn't you do Mirandolina? Yes, he did Which is a very well-known play in Europe and not so here. was done by your company. And then Soul Pepper did it. 
Yes, with Laszlo again. Uh-huh. You see, Laszlo directed it for us because Hungarians have a very strong connection to German theater. So he knew all about Mirandolina. They uh-huh. do a lot yes. of uh, they do a lot of German plays in it in in Hungary. Mm. So uh, Laszlo runs the biggest theater in Budapest, I think, yeah. uh, the Comedy Theater, and. Uh, they do a lot of hung- uh, of German work there. So, so this expanded all of our knowledge to bring people like that in. It's really was a it was a great idea. I get all excited about it. Peter, yeah. I've talked about it for a long time. Well, but. It, it's a remarkable thing. And I, what I find very interesting in your career is this balance of classical work, the actor's craft, and contemporary plays, mm. and you sort of balance those two things. Quite to, regularly throughout your, I've your been lucky. professional I've been, life. Yeah. I've been extremely lucky. You need to be lucky in this business, but I have been. And and also, at the time when I did start Masterclass, was the time that in, in my life where it's difficult for an actress, not so much anymore, things are better. But when you turned 40, you kind of like died. You know, you're just as if uh, you weren't there. Because okay. the plays were not written about women in their 40s and, and 50s in those days. Yeah. The new plays were all about being young and new and, and vital and all of that. And I'd had my time in those plays and they were wonderful. But I found myself with less uh, to do. So that's one of the reasons I did that. And huh. now it's not so necessary. There's lots of good plays for the older woman, I'm finding. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. Did you, do you find that now when you return to a new work or you're in that workshop of that translation, that the experience of the classical work informs the new plays and the dramaturgy and all those new plays you've done, does that bring something to bear on when you do a Shaw play? Or a I think it must. I, 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 don't, I hadn't thought of it, but I think it's just part of your parcel of experience that you bring to whatever it is that you're doing, uh-huh. you know? You bring what you've done in the past, and it has it must have some effect. I know that during the time of master class, I I really had started it in order to get some good juicy classical roles for myself, and I didn't get to do any because there was <laughs> <laughs> too much other work to do, you know. So I did you ever act with master class? No. Oh <laughs> no, I never did. But I have now acted with Soul Pepper, so that's <laughs> that's nice. And I and I was very happy at the time uh, when I stopped going to Banff, which was so there was about a decade there where I went between Banff and Toronto and the television, which I did do in that same period of time. I didn't do much stage acting at all. It was good and bad. It. It left me bereft because I wanted to, uh, I've, I'm an actor first. But also, it gave me a break. It gave me a chance to look at it from another point of view, from the outside in. I actually even did some directing, and I believe me, I'm not a director particularly. But I did a couple of things which, because of the experience I had of looking from the outside. And then when I came back to acting, I did feel refreshed, and I did feel that you know things were perking again and it was not a bad thing at all it was a, oh I, I would not have missed that period of my life for anything no it was great well, me neither I'll tell you it's fantastic <laughs> I'm, I want to open up the conversation to see if there are any questions that any of you here today might have for Patricia Hamilton yeah you have such a Sure. 
Should I write it down? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, did everyone hear the sorry, Pat? Did everyone hear the question about does Patricia Hamilton have a view of where we're going next, having been so involved in the Canadian theater in the last? I'm uh, for the last eleven, twelve years. I've been involved at the Shaw Festival, so that has been my dream come true in terms of doing the those works and now that Jackie is there doing modern plays I've had the best of both worlds and had a richness there Uh, and my son seems to have followed a little bit in my footsteps in that he's doing a lot of classical work himself and uh, is going back to Stratford next year after having a very successful Hamlet there last year uh, to do Brutus in Julius Caesar which he's very excited about and the importance of being earnest so he's going the same direction so I've been very engaged in all of that I keep up with the new work, Peter. I go and see it as much as I can. I think there is some very exciting new work coming up. What I mostly think is that the training for actors, the training for designers has, has improved enormously since I started out. And all those, the bar has been raised in all of that work. Looking at Belmoral the other night, I just thought, this, the look of this is that famous old tired phrase, world class, you know. This is, and I look at the productions at Shaw and the detailed work that our seamstresses do and the work that our dramaturges do and the work that is done from the lighting booth, and I think we're just getting better. It's slow. It's always going to be slow. We have a big country and a few people. But we do have a passion for theatre, People like yourself who will come out this afternoon to, to hear an old hand like me to <laughs> say a few things about it. That happens a lot. It happens at Shaw, too. Uh, it's a fascinating thing to meet your audience and to realize that they are keeping you going and keeping you moving. And I do think that that's true. The audiences at Shaw are remarkable. And I did a, a, a seminar there last summer and I met some people from, a lot of people from the States who come, for 20% of our audience at Shaw is American. And those people come year after year after year to see the plays. So the theater, the dying old theater is still alive and well, and I think the bar has is, is been raised pretty high. I'd hate to be a young actress going into the world now. They're so much better trained than I was. They're so much, they know so much more. Oh, They're all triple threats. They can all sing, dance, and act. It's quite amazing how the young people... I watch my own kid, how he does all of that. Dancing, not so much. But (laughs) he is a singer, and he's a terrific young actor. And and his friends, I've watched them come up, and I do think think the bar has been raised pretty high. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming to join us today and talking with us. Thank you. It's been wonderful. That's all for this fifth interviews podcast of the 2008-2009 season. 
Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. That's H-I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-S at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast sections of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. That's E-M-A-I-L-A-L-E-R-T-S. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.